Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Head on over to their website, ftaprotect.com, to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. And remember, use promo code FTP10 to receive 10% off your policy. That's FTP and the number 10 for a 10% off. This episode is also brought to you by the ConcealedCarry.com Firearm Instructor Network. ConcealedCarry.com is always looking for quality firearm instructors across the country to join their network. As a network instructor, you can take advantage of ConcealedCarry.com's advertising platform to fill your classes. Visit class.concealedcarry.com and click on instructors to learn more and see if it would be a good fit for you. Again, visit class.concealedcarry.com. Today, we'll be discussing what the FTA offers instructors, the Firearms Trainers Association, with Kyle Sweet. Kyle is the executive director of the Firearms Trainers Association, managing partner of Sweet Law, a defensive litigation firm, and general counsel and co-founder of CCW Safe. Kyle is a former police officer who today represents police officers and officer-involved shootings, represents most of our nation's largest health systems in catastrophic injury and medical negligence cases, as well as insurance law. Kyle also represents brand ambassadors in the outdoor industry and handles their business affairs, contract negotiations, and brand development management. Welcome, Kyle. How are things for you today? Great. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate you having me. Uh, it's, it's always good to have uh, this type of information because as instructors, and I've said it before on the podcast, if you're going to be responsible, you've got to have insurance coverage because you never know when something bad is going to happen. Maybe not necessarily that you did bad, but somebody falls down and breaks a leg or, or something worse. And having that insurance coverage not only protects us, but also gives our students kind of a peace of mind. And with the FTA being kind of new on the scene, I wanted to get you guys on and talk about it a little bit because I know a lot of instructors out there, I I hear it all the time when I'm teaching classes, they want to know where, where should I get my insurance from? And there's several of them, but FTA is probably one of the newest on the block and offers, I think, a lot of neat advantages. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about what FTA is and, and, uh, and what's behind it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The Farms Trainers Association is an organization that was founded by uh, Larry Vickers, Ken Hackathorn, Dave Spaulding, Jeff Gonzalez, and Scott Reedy. Uh, Scott is a guy that uh, is really integrated in the firearms world, but he's not a household name like you know some of the others. He, he is director of training for the SIG Academy. And uh, we all got together a few years ago in Las Vegas at the SHOT Show, and we're basically bemoaning the current state of how difficult it is for firearms trainers to obtain professional liability coverage through the traditional commercial insurance market. Uh, at that point, the market was hardening. It was harder to get insurance. It was harder to get that type of a coverage. And so we have, uh, through what I've done at CCW Safe, we have what's called a captive insurance company uh, that that it essentially is the insured and uh, or makes the organization, in this case, FTA is the insured. And it, the captive insurance is a funding mechanism for any and all claims that our members uh, have. So it's a membership benefit of the FTA is you get all of the professional liability coverage you would traditionally get from the commercial insurance market. In addition, 
uh, we're developing and constantly putting out uh, additional uh, content for professional development. But one of the things that uh, all of our founders wanted to do when we uh, launched FTA was have essentially a non-dogmatic curriculum training organization that was a resource for instructors that would provide as a membership benefit their professional liability coverage and the uh, certificates that they would have to have of coverage at all the ranges where they taught that weren't going to be an extra $25 every time you you know taught at a new range. So it's essentially, it's an organization created by and for firearms trainers. Uh, we're, we're not dogmatic on curriculum. We have an easy in, easy out membership philosophy that is we don't care where your certification to teach comes from. Uh, you can join. You know, we want to. We don't want to be a country club where very few people can can join. Uh, we want to be an organization that can that, that trainers want to come to to meet some of their commercial needs. Uh, but as well, it's a place where they can they can get uh, all the safety briefings already done by subject matter experts. For instance, ours is done by Larry Vickers, and it's available to be displayed to any student of any of our instructor members, uh, the things like waivers and releases, uh, business development resources, uh, how to incorporate, uh, how to uh, market, uh, you know, that type of thing. And, and just really work with instructors to, to recognize that this is a, a profession and it needs to have a trade organization that respects the fact that it's a profession and as a resource for our instructors to improve their own selves. Yeah, that, that is uh, really good. And I know I've taken advantage of a lot of the videos that the FTA has put out uh, over the last couple of months on a lot of different different topics. Uh, and that's where, you know, Ken Hackathorn and Larry Vickers and Dave Spaldings, we've had them on the podcast before, but they really hit on a lot of good topics when it comes to making sure you're running a safe range, making sure you're staying away from that dogmatic uh, instruction and being the best you can for your for your students overall. Uh, one of the things that I was really impressed with and the reason why I switched my insurance over to the FTA was because I probably do 90% of my training for students with firearms, but then you get into the other uh, pieces of it when you're doing force on force with, uh, you know, with uh, sharp objects, knives, different things along those lines. Uh, do you, what kind of coverage do you guys offer when it comes comes to that? Well, I think that the the way we formed it is to provide us as much flexibility as possible to cover the different types of training methodologies that are used and implemented by our instructor membership. Uh, and because it's an association uh, membership that's funded by a captive insurance company, uh, the whole concept of the professional liability is to protect the class of members. It's not to protect the, uh, to restrict coverage. So a commercial insurance company will make more money by collecting premiums and denying claims. The captive insurance world has been, has revolutionized, you know, insurance in that it, when you have an association, you know, groups of common, common interest people, you, you, no one understands your risk better than you do. And the, the thing that commercial insurance in the United States has in common is that all, all roads go to and, and from London, uh, the Lloyd's of London uh, Insurance Syndicate, which has been around for hundreds of years. And so all every policy that you buy, whether you're insuring your roof, your car, uh, slip and fall coverage for your business or anything else, it's, it's going to some of those dollars of your premium payment will make their way through London uh, and it, be an excess coverage, in, you know, reinsurance. 
or the direct policy itself, the, the company that you're going to actually purchase your policy from, be it like State Farm or Farmers, is only retaining a very small amount of that risk. So if they have a $25,000 auto coverage, they're only going to really truly be retaining, you know, a little bit of money of that risk. And it's all going to be sold off to uh, through different insurance syndicates, the largest in the world being Lloyd's. Uh, when we formed our uh company CCW Safe many years ago, we recognized that the, the cost of obtaining commercial insurance is incredibly onerous because they don't understand firearms. And if everything is going through London, which it is, they're going to price you in, in a way that reflects their, their lack of understanding of the firearms world as well as their fear of it. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to have a, an, a, a truly uh, effective you know, suite of coverages that you have any control over is to get out of the commercial market and and use captive insurance as the funding mechanism for for the benefits of your membership. When that's what we've we've been able to do for the FTA based on our experiences doing this on the concealed carry side of the house. So uh, the uh, it, it's not a particularly uh, difficult concept to understand. I mean, Warren Buffett is one of the largest captive owners in the world. And uh, he knows a thing or two about managing risk. You know, he's one of the world's wealthiest men. Uh, And it's something that most fortune 500 companies have captive insurance companies. It just allows them the flexibility of of monetizing their risk where they can then pay themselves the premiums and then manage their risk exposure by being their best risk manager because they understand their risk, mitigating it when they can, and using the funds that would traditionally just evaporate in the commercial market if you had a year with no claims, so that money's gone. But if you do the captive route, you can take that money and you can uh, build it and you can turn it into programs, you can turn it into risk mitigation things uh, and underwrite your business operations from the context of of, a lim- of working with your members to eliminate risk through programming, content, and, that, and, and the like. And so one of the most important things we're doing is you know partnering with different organizations uh, to provide additional membership benefits, uh, you know, like educational resources, content that's going to be used from a business standpoint of firearms trainers. And uh, we do it in a, in a non-judgmental way. We're not going to comment on your curriculum. Uh, you know, we're not going to comment on a teaching modality. Uh, we're going to provide content so our instructor member membership can uh, get additional information. Wow, that's that's a that's a lot to digest there, uh, Kyle. And, I, and I, I will say, Rob, I'm a total and complete insurance nerd. So uh, if, if it, I'm, I love talking about it. Uh, I, you know, I'm a, I grew up on a farm where we didn't have cable television. All we had were guns and books, and so <laughs> and guitars. And so that's about the only thing I claim any subject matter expertise over. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's uh, really kind of neat. So, if I'm a fire instructor out there in the middle of uh, Nebraska, and I took my training from the Nebraska Firearm Association, am, am I able to get coverage with the FTA? Absolutely, yes, you are. You know, how about if if I'm if I don't have a uh, firearm certification, but I'm teaching self-defense and the, and those type of uh, classes. Uh, for well, we, we also have, a, a, we have two types of membership. We have <clears throat> the traditional membership uh, that uh, of firearms trainers. And we also have something called an auxiliary member. That's it's uh, 25% of the cost of a full membership. You're not getting the, uh, the professional liability protection membership benefit, but you are getting access to all the content. 
you know, we are, we are, the, the F is very important in firearms trainers. We will, we will provide, uh, coverage in this in the scope of the professional liability coverage does include force on force sims uh all of that because that's incredibly important uh you know information and education that people need we believe that firearms trainers who are employing practical exercises in a in the safest manner possible are turning out students who make better decisions and better choices and when you turn out students who make better decisions and better choices, you have less liability. You're less of a risk. And because of that, we encourage our instructor members to, you know, implement, use, access, and, and gain additional training themselves in, uh, in, in force-on-force and simulation training and the like because you're actually training. Ultimately, what we're doing, we're not just training somebody to be an effective user of a tool known as a firearm. Ultimately, what we're responsible for as trainers is to train somebody to not only effectively use the tool, but software inside their head is judgment. Mm -hmm. And they have to exercise good judgment. And what we want to do is provide the resources to let instructors understand that it's not just about punching holes on paper targets. It's literally setting up your students to be able to effectively make a decision not to engage or avoid uh, you know, and de-escalate before they get to the point where they have to save their life or someone they care about by, you know, firing that, that gun, those bullets don't come back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've, everybody who's involved in our organization has been involved in uh, either law enforcement or military and have been involved in, in uh, you know, officer involved shootings or some type of combat situations where, uh, you know, we have an understanding. We know what happens when the smoke clears and you've got to answer for your decisions and your choices. You've exercised a professional judgment. And we want to be a resource for people who are training those to use the best judgment. That is uh, uh, very good because uh, one, one of the things that I always go along and make sure my students uh, realize is the only fight that you're guaranteed to win is the one that never happens. Uh, and from a civilian standpoint, obviously, we can avoid um, situations. If you're in law enforcement, obviously, you're, that's part of your job to intervene on, on things. Forward. So that's, uh, you know, really, really, um, exciting to have an organization that supports and understands those types of things, because I can say from my own personal experience, first time I went through and did force on force, uh, as a student, it's eye opener because, okay, I'm great. I'm shooting the lights out of, of the bullseye on the target. Boom, boom, boom. No problem. But all of a sudden you get thrown into the middle of chaos Chaos means everything's moving around you. You don't have a static target that you're shooting at. And I've incorporated that type of training into my classes that I teach. And on the feedback I receive from the students, that's one of the most valuable things that the students can have is to actually take the knowledge that we've talked about in class and apply it to a real-world situation to where they need to go along and say, okay, I'm walking into this room. I've, I've come to my car. I've done this or that. What do you do? You know, do you run? Do you fight? And those types of things. And it's like you said, Kyle, that software, the mental preparation is just as important, if not more important than going along and making sure you, your gun's loaded, making sure you've got, you know, the right ammunition in there and you and you know how to press that trigger properly. Because if you can avoid the situation or deescalate it, um, that's, that's going to have a lot more positive outcomes 
outcome for you than if you end up having to go through and go through the legal process of being grilled over why you did something one way or the other. That's a great point. And uh, I think you're starting to see, you're kind of on the vanguard of their or instructors are, there's some who are heavily invested in, in that part of the training. And there are others who literally view themselves as more of a, uh, you know, mechanical, I'm going to teach you how to draw point, shoot, reholster. And that's about it, you know, other than safety. And uh, there's, I think there's been a real paradigmatic shift in firearms trainers that who want to, recognize that if you're going to train somebody to use a weapon, then how you use it, the decisions that you make are incredibly important. And so the training, like what you're providing your students is really, I think it's getting to the point where it's going to be what we think of as the standard of care. In other words, the, what a uh, reasonable firearms trainer would do in a same or similar set of circumstances, which is the threshold to a professional liability claim. You know, Mm -hmm. think of it, you know, we, we say, you know, coming from a law enforcement background, although it's been, I was thinking the other day how long it's been since I rode around in a police car with uh, with my badge and gun. I think it was like 1994 was the last shift, last shift I worked before I went to law school. But uh, you know, you're we always talk about well, law enforcement is a profession, and and well, firearms training is a profession. And if you're going to be a profession, then you're subject just like a physician, uh, a pharmacist. You're subject to what's called standards of care. It's the minimally acceptable uh, behavior for a professional and the standard is typically defined as what would a reasonable, uh, prudent firearms instructor do in the same or similar circumstances. And if you're, in, if you're not, uh, if you're doing an introductory class for someone who's going to carry a gun concealed out in the world and you're not providing them any information or education on, re- uh, on firearm retention or uh, any type of, you know, force on force stress inoculation, anything like that, then you, you, you may need to ask yourself, are you meeting the appropriate standards of care? And obviously that what you're advocating, Rob, it, it recognizes that uh, a standard of care needs to be met and your students need to be uh, put in situations where they're going to succeed. Uh, you know, we get calls all the time uh, with, uh, you know, people wanting us to, you know, evaluate their, their curriculum. And we're going to build that out at some point. Uh, right now, we just want people in the, you know, at the table. Uh, so we can, we can hopefully, uh, not be dogmatic in publishing standards of care, telling somebody this is appropriate to teach on and this is not, but mostly just a minimum threshold needs support and focus and attention in the class. Mm-hmm. And one, one thing I'll throw on because uh, a lot of my training is actually the third, the third part I haven't talked about yet is making sure people understand about the uh, uh, trauma care first aid on the other end of things because if you're going to shoot you, you got to have the mechanics down there you've got to have the mentality as we've been talking about to do things appropriately but you also you know if you're going to play with guns play with knives things like that guess what somebody's going to get hurt and if you don't know how to treat those effectively until professional medical care gets there you could have yourself a big uh, problem on, on your hands and you know me personally I carry a uh, IFAC on me when I'm actually on the range. Why? Because I'm, I might be up at the five yard line and if something goes wrong, I, there's a ricochet off of, off the, uh, uh, hillside that we're shooting into or gun goes wrong or something else like that. If I got to run back to my range bag and then run back there, uh, that could be 30 seconds that I could be doing something else. And that's why I always go along and encourage 
uh, my instructors that I teach to carry an IFAC on them because something happens, you don't want to be running around trying to trying to find that first aid kit or something else like that. Have it on you, and immediately you can go to work, whether it's you or somebody else. Well, I think that's the the, the point you make, and when we we tell people that too, uh, you know, you, you would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm-hmm. And you know that I think what you're talking about, your practice is has evolved to become the standard of care. If you're an instructor, you know, having a having a first aid trauma kit in your truck, a five minute jog away is uh, not going to, you can bleed out by the time you get there and get back and, you know, performing your assessment of, of someone who is essentially, you know, your patient now. Uh, mm-hmm. So th- those are all very important. One of the things we try to work with instructors on recognizing too, are, are uh, all the, the details, particularly, uh, you know, some of the worst people about it are, are military and law enforcement where, you know, they train so much for the incident that they really have very limited training for the post-incident. In other words, the seconds that occur after the per- person's on the ground. And, and and I deal with it. And what I do with uh, officer-involved shootings in the area where I live, <clears throat> it's a major metropolitan you know, force of you know 1,500 officers. And we, uh, some lawyers work in my firm, and long as myself, I, I love it. It's a passion project for me. But we respond to every officer-involved shooting and then we have a whole system in place for preparing that officer to give their interview with homicide detectives. And in nowadays, most law enforcement encounters and people in the civilian world need to be aware of this as well, because someone's going to be arriving at your scene with this information. Shots fired. Uh, someone is down. There's a gunman at the scene. And when they arrive, they're going to be wearing a body cam. And so as an instructor, I think it's really important to let your students know that if you're involved in a self-defense shooting, that it, and you say, well, it's not, I'm not going to have a camera on me. It won't be filmed. It will be. The aftermath will be filmed because multiple officers will be arriving wearing body cams filming you. Mm-hmm. And if you're standing over somebody, uh, you know, uh, with a gun in your hand or a cigarette dangling from your mouth and they're slowly bleeding out on the pavement, you have to imagine what are the optics of that? What is a jury going to think? What is the prosecutor going to think? You know, you've now prepared yourself to, to uh, you know, defend yourself by shooting somebody. But now you appear to be somebody to the general public or maybe somebody not from the Second Amendment community. And you're just standing over somebody refusing to lend them aid uh, and uh, they're bleeding out. And so there's technically no duty to render aid under those circumstances in in most jurisdictions. But there's a perception. uh, And and that's one of the officer involved shootings I was involved in. uh, My partner shot a guy and. The instinct is to oh well shot now we wait now we just stand here and we wait and uh, an, an older officer grabbed me and said yeah, grab that pack of there's a crumpled up pack of cigarettes and we took the cellophane wrapper and he had a sucking chest wound and we start rendering aid mm-hmm. and so th- this was long before the days of dashboard cameras much less body cameras so now if you're in that situation and you fired fired your gun and the officers show up and you're rendering first aid you're doing something uh, that sends a huge signal that you are a fully prepared for all aspects of of the self-defense shooting, but you're also, uh, didn't want to hurt this person. They made decisions that forced you to forced your hand. So, uh, those are the type of things we want our instructor cadre to be, to be aware of is, you know, professionalize their operations and deal with the whole panoply of things that can happen in, in shootings, not just prepare them to punch a few holes in a target and call it a day. 
Yeah, I always go along and remind people, um, whether they're students or whether they're other instructors, that even though we don't wear body cams as civilians, that everybody's got a smartphone and you don't, you never know when somebody is going to be starting videotaping something. Um, some of the craziest videos that you see out on social media these days happen. Why? Because something went on and all of a sudden two or three people start whipping out their cell phones. And that's one of those things where you can't control what other people around you're going to do, but you can control what you're doing. And just like you're saying, you know, be prepared for, and if we're on the range and something goes wrong, um, the method I always, uh, teach and, and encourage my range safety officers to do is make sure that you keep everybody busy. It avoids people sitting there taking uh, videos and, and pictures, uh, but it, but the biggest benefit to it is it helps you render that person with the aid. Somebody run back to the car and get the bigger trauma kit or somebody run out to the road. You know, a lot of, a lot of places where I teach at are ranges that are not in a metropolitan area. So we're further away from first aid, uh, professional care. If something would go wrong and it's not always easy to find the driveway that we're down and every you know, second counts when you're trying to get first aid uh, to the range and do things like that. And that's where instructors, as you said, really have got to take it upon themselves, not just go along and say, Hey, I'm teaching this curriculum. I'm teaching this class, but also saying, what do I need to do from a standards of care for, for the profession of going along and making sure that I've got a, a, a the, the range is proper, you know, I've got the proper targets, but then, you know, what happens if something goes wrong? And that's where, you know, I feel very good about encouraging people to take a good hard look at the FTA insurance because crazy things happen. Somebody, you know, it's walking on a perfectly sunny day and they fall down break your leg and that they're going to hold you liable for. And those are the types of things that you want to have coverage, not only to protect yourself, but also to go along and help, help that student out a little bit versus saying, well, you know, tough luck to you. All right. Exactly. So those, there's a lot really, really good points that hopefully the instructors that are listening to this realize and understand that, you know, we can do everything 100% right and still be wrong. And that's where insurance comes in to help us, to help cover us and help and help give us that standard of care uh, from a professional standpoint. You know, one of the things you, you make in that point is uh, I, I think sometimes there's a uh, perception in the firearms community that if you purchase insurance or you join an organization that has professional liability or any other, you know, liability protection as a membership benefit, that you're essentially... Uh, the, the, if anything happens, it uh, it's not going to affect me. I'm never going to get sued. I'm never going to get, uh, you know, have criminal charges brought against me, or I'm never going to have an administrative action taken against my concealed carry permit. And uh, it, it's like if you if you purchase it, you you're some people's mindset is that I'm uh, I'm trying I'm anticipating that something like this is going to happen. And uh, to me, this then the from a firearms trainer's standpoint. This is absolutely part of something you have to have if you're going to be taken seriously as an instructor. Uh, you know, it's, it's like you say, things happen and things can happen on a range. Like someone can slip and fall on brass and uh, maybe then later you think, oh, they're a nice student. They're a police officer. They would never sue me. Wrong. Uh, you know, if, if they go back and talk to their neighbor who's a you know, car wreck lawyer, all of a sudden it's like, well, hey, how often did he sweep the brass off the firing line? Well, I don't think he did. 
okay, it was at three o'clock in the afternoon. And how many rounds did you guys require? You required to bring? Well, it was a 300 round class. So you have, and there's 10 students. So you got pot potentially a few thousand rounds of loose brass and no one swept them for the first six hours of the class. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. We, we may think that's unreasonable because people are doing it on their own, but you know, that's the beginnings of a lawsuit. It's the beginnings of a professional liability claim because even though you may not be responsible for every single aspect of the range where you're essentially renting out that time, uh, you're responsible for every aspect of how that class is conducted. Every Mm -hmm. safety matter, everything that you do is going to have to be uh, viewed with reducing the risk of things happening. And uh, that's one of the things that we work really hard on is providing content content to let instructors know to share and be a community uh, we, we want our in, we view it as a collaborative community we want uh, feedback from the instructors on what are things you're looking for and uh, we will soon be uh, you know focusing on instructor uh, spotlights letting people you know know about different types of instructors and we tell people always keep training yourself always be the student and uh, and that's part of what FDA d- does is educating our members on uh, new developments and training, safety, and that type of thing. So I think it's really important that you cover those types of things as well, Rob. And it's, I think it's going to, you will do a lot of good for having that. that a lot. There, somebody listening may think, huh, well, I always had a range bag, but I had my trauma kit in, but I never had it on me. Uh, you know, in, you, in, 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 in bleeding situations, you know, the very first thing you got to do is stop the bleeding. How can you do that if, you're, if your uh, range bag that contains your trauma kit is a, is a mm-hmm. five or seven minute round trip, you know, jaunt uh, to your truck. You, you go, you first, you know, you have a, a arterial uh, bleed from your ephemeral artery and you can bleed out 100% in three minutes, pass out in a, a minute and a half. Now, how close is your trauma bag? And, you know, if you get to the person a minute or two, you know, man, that person's going to be in really bad shape versus you being able to go along and put a tourniquet on them within 30 seconds. Uh, those types of things. And that's what I think I've defended two police officers who, uh, in, engaged this, their attackers and shot and killed them both. And, uh, they, these two people most recently were head wounds where was the, you know, the round that was the most likely cause of death <clears throat> and people in the community who don't know anything about shootings are like, well, he shot him in the head. And then the officer on the body cam is just standing there afterwards and mm-hmm. it's like uh, and so i told this one guy this community activist i said do you realize what happens if you put a tourniquet on somebody's neck <laughs> you know, but literally you know there are people who think well you shot him in the head and he didn't even try to stop the bleeding it's like you know there's obvious death you know and, and in this instance my client was a uh he was a uh, had been in uh, the marine corps and served in iraq and afghanistan and he knows you know more than the average bear about you know combat first aid and when you have a obvious head wound where you have gray matter on the ground uh there's nothing that a police officer or most paramedics can do for that mm-hmm. other than get them out of there as fast as possible and uh but, but yeah and, and but if you do it and most officers i shouldn't say most many are wearing uh you know very minimal trauma kits with at least a tourniquet Right. And, uh, and, and so why do they do that? Because, you know, the chances are they'll go their whole career and never use it. And certainly, hopefully our instructor members will never have to use it. But, you know, it's the old saying, if I'd rather have it, not need it than need it, not have it. And, and we're at a point now, or I believe the instructor on their person carrying a some level of, of med kit to be able to handle the first few minutes of a uh, of a bleed 
uh, is, is standard care. Mm-hmm. And those are things that are constantly changing. And as I tell instructors and we'll repeat it here too, um, you know, what the standard care is today is different than what it was five years ago. It's different than it was 20 and 30 years ago uh, when it comes to things. And it's our responsibility to stay up with the changing times, uh, understand what the standard of cares are so that everybody uh, can be as safe as possible because we don't do this to uh, get injured, you know, train people. We do this to survive and making sure our students survive. And the best way of doing that is to make sure that we're sticking by the uh, standard care and that we've got the best information possible. And hopefully our instructors that are listening to this will completely embrace what we're talking about today. We'll stay up on what's in the industry and we'll be the best, best damn instructors uh, they can be. Hey Rob, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. Uh, We are seeing a true, I think something that's, that's going to be a massive change in our industry in the next, uh, two years and, and it's happening in the next two months, but is we're seeing lo- very large law enforcement agencies go to, uh, you know, fleet wide red dot optics, we red dot sites. And there's really not a lot of educational resources right now for, uh, for police agencies, you know, federal, state and local, much less civilians. So uh, one thing that we, I think that's really important is for instructors who want to have a successful practice, you know, successful business is to be anticipating those, uh, the needs of, of students in years to come and getting themselves properly trained to train them. And uh, we're seeing a, we get, we're, we've gotten calls about, you know, are you going to uh, provide a membership benefit of coverage for people who are teaching red dot? Uh, you know, red dot optics because they're going to be employed by police agencies uh, and, and, you know, civilians. And there are many civilians carrying red dots. And I used to, I used to be negative about it. And of course, now that I'm in my fifties and my eyesight is not what it used to be. uh, (laughs) I think I'm beginning to see no pun intended, the obvious benefits of of having that type of a tool available. So I just curious what you're seeing from the instructor world on opportunities to educate oneself as an instructor to, teach uh red dots what's your kind of take on that well what i what i've seen three years ago didn't see any red dots at all on the range uh whether they were concealed carry students or instructor candidates for in the last year i've probably had close to a dozen people come through the classes for that and it's one of those to where i don't use a red dot uh currently uh, but it I am working on training myself up, uh, taking classes on exactly, you know, how does a red dot, because if any, if anybody's never picked up a red dot, uh, pistol, it worked. I mean, the trigger works the same as every other pistol, but what changes is how you've got to hold it and what you're looking for. You're not looking for the, the equal height, uh, equal light on the, on the sites. You're looking for this little red dot popping up and that, changes things quite a bit you've got to get a little bit different grip or a little bit different where you're going to expect to see that because the last thing you want to do is be searching there for the red dot um, for it so from my perspective I still have to do some training to get that up to speed to where I want to be with it but I definitely see in where probably 
10 percent of the of my candidates last year had them and this year seeing even more people uh, coming out because manufacturers are making them readily available i know uh, sig and uh, springfield both have uh, models that come with red dot sites on them glock and mmp uh, uh, Smith and Wesson all have models that have uh, the adapter plates already uh, milled into them. So there's, though they will be around for a while. And I look at it as it's a, it's going to be a shift in the industry, just like going from a revolver over a semi-automatic was, or a single uh, SADA kind of semi-automatic to the striker fire that we have today. And seeing quite a bit of, bit of that's coming, and more. I'm sure, like you said, there's going to be more to come for sure. Well, yeah, and I think from an instructor standpoint. What a tremendous opportunity to uh, that doesn't come around very often. Uh, people teach what they know, what they're most comfortable with, and uh, I think for for instructors out there who want to grow their business, there is a tremendous opportunity to uh, you know do self improvement, gain some expertise in, in that platform, and uh, you will be well well ahead of the game because we're getting we get regular contacts from people saying, you know, hey, we're, I'm trying to look for a, a good red dot class, not just an instructor who will allow me to have my red dot in their class, but specifically training to use that, uh, that tool. And, uh, it's, uh, it's going to, especially we're, we're hearing Nevada highway patrol, uh, Las Vegas, Metro PD, uh, LAPD, LA County, Houston, just to name a few. And those are, you know, many thousand, uh, departments. personnel strong. Yeah. And so when that happens, you know, uh, when there's just no one carried a Glock until police agency started carrying Glocks and, and mm-hmm. it drives a lot of, civilian decision making and so we're uh that's i really encourage people to get out there and create some content create some uh, uh awareness and classes and uh it's going to help uh other trainers begin to have identified curriculum that they can go and replicate or and, and it's easy to, it's rare that an opportunity for civilian instructors to create themselves as subject matter experts uh, over and above people in the law enforcement and military active duty worlds. But here it is. It's, it's on a silver plate. It's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Everybody heard it here. Uh, that's definitely something to invest in. And I've written down some notes to myself as we've been talking that that's uh, something that I want to get done done this summer so that I can start offering uh, my own uh, red dot sites with everything. Uh, well, let me know because I would definitely want to, I would definitely want to come up there and, and take a class from you. That sounds good. I will definitely uh, keep uh, keep you abreast on how how my uh, training goes uh, with all my other activities. And, uh, well, um, Kyle, last word. Um, how can people find out more information about you and the FTA? Well, it's uh, simply you go to ftaprotect.com. And uh, on there, they're going to see we, we basically have tease outs for a lot of our content. A lot of it's uh, member only based. But there is essentially like an abstract description of the different things. Uh, we you can filter search by category, displaying all of them, or displaying them by the person who's posting them. Uh, you know, our membership is four hundred dollars a year, uh, or a hundred dollars a year for an auxiliary uh, person without the uh, professional liability benefit. Uh, we are uh, we have customer service people available via email every day, twenty four seven. And uh, we enjoy getting questions and responses. And one of the biggest questions we get is, uh, I went to the this junior college firearm instructor class in 1992. Am I eligible to be a member? And the answer is yes. Uh, you know, any certifying agency, be it NRA, USCCA, doesn't matter. Like I said, we're, we're an organization that wants to be easy in, easy out. We want to 
uh, make it easy to join. And then if someone's practicing in a completely unsafe manner or is a risk to themselves or the integrity of the overall mission of the FTA, then it's easy out. Uh, we've never, we haven't had to get rid of anybody. We haven't had to boot any members. Uh, we, we want uh, this to be a collaborative community and if people have content they want to see based on the subject matter experts we have access to, our founders, then just let us know. Shoot us an email. Uh, they cannot get a hold of me anytime at kyle at ftaprotect.com or info at ftaprotect.com. And any of those, we'll, we'll be able to get, get you in touch with people. And if you have requests for particular content, we want to hear about it. We want to produce it and get it out there for you. Yeah, that's, that's uh, re- really great. And you do all the application process online, correct? Yeah. You get down there, you enter, for instance, on the you go to the membership and it'll say, uh, it has the terms of service and all that. And you join as instructor uh, to become a member, and you'll answer, uh, you know, your name, your birth date, your email address, mobile phone number, and you list your firearms instructor certifications. Uh, you don't have to list twenty if you have twenty. All you need is one. But if it's NRA, military, you know, if you're a police officer, a security guard, and you have an instructor certification through any of those licensing agencies, then you identify it. Uh, you can upload it. And then you create your content and password, and then that takes you to the sign-up page where you put in your billing information. And then it's recurring each year. You don't even have to mess with it. It'll be done automatically unless you don't want to join, and then uh, we cancel out for you if you contact us. Okay. Well, that's that does make it easy in and easy out. And one thing, too, on that is the, uh, the COI, the, the Certificate of Coverage for your membership benefits that are required by any range where you're going to instruct, uh, we do not charge any more money if you're going to teach at 50 ranges this year and every one of them requires a different uh, certificate of coverage, we will provide that for you. Uh, and with that range is an endorsement is what it is. They want to know that they're indemnified if you are, if they are sued based off of your actions. That's mm-hmm. incredibly common, Rob. I know you're super familiar with that. Uh, yeah. We try to make it as easy as possible. You, you shoot us an email and we'll have it for you, uh, you know, within minutes uh, and, we'll list that endorsement on there for you. A lot of uh, our competitors charge per, uh, per endorsement report per certificate of coverage. We don't do that. I mean, we're here for our members. Yeah, I know. I've sent a few emails to info at ftaprotect.com and they turn it around. And the one thing that I really like about it is they do it all, all online. It's not a big, long, uh, form that they email to you. You just log onto your portal, download it, and you've got it there. If you ever need it again, you're not searching your emails. You're going to the portal, downloading it, and you have it all over again. Yeah. And that's been something that we've set up just in the last few months is uh, we also have a switch program. So if anybody's with, a, with a, another uh, entity uh, and they want to switch to the FTA, they can do it and save 10% with a code that's switch 10 uh, and you, people realize you don't have to wait till your existing policy is up. You can you can cancel your existing policy with any carrier, and then they'll typically prorate it out, and then you can join FTA at that time. So uh, you know we we want to create it as where it's easy to get in involved in this community and get access to the content, and the resources, and the protection that we provide this profession. Well, that's, uh, that's uh, really good news, and hopefully everybody goes over there and checks things out. Well, that wraps things up for today, everyone. Um, if you dry, enjoyed today's show, we have a few uh, requests for our followers. Uh, first, follow us on 
Instagram, Twitter, like us on Facebook, go along, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google play, or wherever you listen to the podcast app. And as Kyle's uh, spoken, uh, go over to Fireman Trainers Association, FTAProtect.com, and check out their insurance and use the code FTP10 to get 10% off for switching over to them. If you have questions about this episode, you have feedback, you have input, you have ideas for future episodes, feel free to email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com or leave us a review and uh, comments on iTunes or Google Play. And last but not least, uh, we've launched our podcast officially. We're on all the platforms now. Uh, we're asking everybody to talk about us, uh, tell other instructors about it. The information that Kyle and I talked about today, the standards, uh, professional standards, everybody should be following those types of things. If you see an instructor or if you're at the range or something else like that, recommend they listen to this podcast, recommend that they subscribe to it so they learn additional information that we talk about in the future. Um, our industry is only going to get better if people care to go along, spread the word, and make sure people understand what the professional uh, care should be. And last, remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Until next time, everyone stay safe. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.